This is the MDT Podcast. A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT. The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge to help you look after older people. So, welcome back. This is Series 2, Episode 3. And I am Dr. Ian Wilkinson. I'm a consultant geriatrician at Surrey and Sussex Healthcare NHS Trust. And I am Dr. Joe Preston, and I'm a consultant at St. George's Hospital in London. And this week we're going to be talking about bone health. And I should put up the front a disclaimer that this is kind of what I do. Ian loves bone health. Yeah, I do quite like bone health. And we have a faculty that looks after each of the episodes. And the faculty members for this episode are... Are Sarah Jane Ryan, who's our physiotherapist, Alan Cooper, who is a GP with a special interest in bone health, and Pam Trangmar, who's a physician associate who works with Ian. The MDT Podcast. So, Joe, we have some feedback this week. Yay, we love feedback. We love feedback. We've have, uh, I think I've split the feedback into three bits. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So much feedback. I know. So the first bit is we have some MDTs, I guesses. Yes, we did. We had iron tablets. That's obviously going with Iron Man from the Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. And we had MRI scanner. That must be Magneto from the mm-hmm. Marvel comics. And then the second bit of feedback we have is from Dr. Daps. Yes. Who contacted us, who's going to come say hi at the BGS conference. Yes. And I think this is a good time to remind everyone that the BGS conference is taking place in Glasgow at the end of November. Yep. We'll be there. We have a poster. We're hopefully going to have a little stand. Yep. So come say hi. We'll yes. have lanyards. We'll have flyers. We might even have a couple of patented exclusive MDT <laughs> mugs. But we haven't decided what you'll need to do to get one of those yet. No. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have an idea for a competition for people to get a mug, let us know. <laughs> and then the third bit of feedback is uh, two people from Twitter. Yes. We have Bernadette Keefe. Mm-hmm who is a doctor over in the States. Uh, and this is really just a thank you for including us in the Storify for the Falls and Postural Stability Conference. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Especially nice because we weren't at that conference. No. no. So that's super nice. <laughs> so it's good that we're reaching across there. Yeah. Which is great. And then the final thing is from Laura Gray, mm-hmm. who I think I just need to congratulate. Because <laughs> she tweeted about us and she managed to put 10 hashtags into a single tweet pretty impressive. about the podcast, which is pretty impressive. So yeah. that's your challenge. <laughs> beat that. Can you beat 10 legitimate hashtags <laughs> to do with medicine and the MDT podcast? And so she's going to be at the BGS and she's interested in frailty and education. So if you're interested in that, go and find her there as well. We're really interested to meet her. The MDT podcast. As with every episode, this bone health and osteoporosis and all of that means Mm. something slightly different to each member of the MDT. So we've gone to one of our MDTs and asked them what they think, and this is what they say. My name's Meg. I'm one of the physios at St George's. As a physio, when I think about bone health, in my initial assessment, I probably would ask about previous falls, whether they've had any fractures, how many fractures and where. Um, whether or not I'd have a look at the patient, have a look how thin they are, whether they look quite frail, probably have a look at the x-rays and have a look at the bones in terms of their structure and whether they look quite sort of strong or whether they're sort of, they look like they've got a little bit of osteoporosis going on. And 
sort of in terms of management for bone health, I'd obviously have a look at their mobility and their walking and see how steady they are, whether or not they need a walking aid to prevent them from having a fall because obviously with bone health, if it's impaired, they're going to be at more risk of fracturing something and probably have a look at their medications, whether they're on anything for bone health like calcium or ADCAL or something like that and whether or not they've been um, sort of referred for any sort of physiotherapy because sort of the evidence says that resistance exercises and any any sort of exercise will benefit for bone health. But it's sort of that balance between making sure they don't fall over and fracture something but then also getting stronger. So I think in terms of bone... And then making sure that their GP knows that if they do have osteoporosis, whether or not they're being followed up for that. And they've had need any scans or anything like that. I'm a consultant orthogeriatrician, so I specialise in people with falls and fractures. Um, when I'm assessing a patient, I assess whether they've got risk fractures for osteoporosis, but in general, in the elderly population, if they've fractured, we want to treat them for osteoporosis, full stop. So, oral bisphosphonates are the treatment of choice, but if there are any contraindications, we would think about other options. Most commonly used are IV zeledronate, which is the bisphosphonate as well, or subcutaneous denosumab. And then in rarer cases, we will use teriparatide as well, but that has to go through the specialist osteoporosis consultant. We look at all sorts. We look at whether people can swallow, whether they've got cognitive problems. We look at their renal function, because all of those things will guide us as to which of those treatments we might consider. And alongside that, we also look at their risk factors for falls, because if they're not falling over, hopefully they won't break any bones. So we do the two together. I'm one of the pharmacists at St George's. What I would look at in a senior health patient, first of all, as a pharmacist, I would have a look at their renal function, their medications that they usually take at home, um, the risk of osteoporosis. I'd want to look at their electrolytes, if they are on any supplementation, on any alendronate or adcal D3. So indications, contraindications, compliance with medications, are the patients bed-bound, can they take alendronate or can they? would they benefit from something else? Um, have they tried it in the past? Um, I would want to look at their age, a little bit about their social history on who's managing with their medications or not. Also, how they take medications, if they are on anything else. Um, are, they using, are, you, are they using blister packs or taking medicines from original boxes? Now, the way that, why that matters is that the, with alendronate, you can't take it at the same time as other medications. So I would want to make sure that the patient knows that they have a medication outside of the blister pack, that they need to take it at a certain time. Um, 30 minutes before or after food or any other medicines. I would make sure that counselling has been done so they know how to take their medicines, what time. So I think listening to that, you can see that there are lots of opportunities for intervention with bone health, aren't there? And lots of different angles that people look at it from. It's not just one part of the MGT. Yeah. And really, when we talk about bone health, what we're really talking about is osteoporosis. Yeah. And osteoporosis is a disease characterised by a low bone mass and structural deterioration of bone tissue, Mm -hmm. which leads on to an increase in bone fragility and susceptibility to fracture. And that definition really comes from the NICE guidelines, which are pretty good. Yeah. You know, they're quite (laughs) readable. For Ian. For me, yes. (laughs) So from a practical point of view... From a practical point of view, it's when someone develops... I mean, lots of people would call it kind of brittle bones. And yeah. they kind of... That's what people often refer to it about themselves. 
And really what it is, is a mismatch between the osteoclasts, which are the ones that break down your bone, and the osteoblasts, which are the ones that put it back. So that's continually happening in your bones over your lifespan. And it's about an imbalance between those two things and not working properly. I describe it to my patients as a bit like the roof, your bones are a bit like the roof of a stately home. Mm -hmm. So every now and then a tile will fall off the roof, that's your osteoclast cutting away a piece of bone. But there's a little man or lady who will run up and put a tile back on the roof to fill that. That's and your osteoblast. It's osteoblast. Osteoblast. And you need both osteoblasts and osteoclasts to have healthy bone. Mm. And it's the clast with the C that cuts away bone, and it's the blast with the B that builds bone. See, he loves bone health. Yeah. And <laughs> over time, if you took a, a snapshot photo of a roof of a stately home, it would look the same year on year. But over 200 years, Potentially every single tile would change. It's a completely different roof. It's a completely different roof. And the bones are the same. So your bones over the course of a year or sometime will completely change, even mm. though the actual way they look remains the same. It's like Trig and his broom in Only Fools and Horses. Go on. Do you remember that episode where he says, oh, I've had this broom for 15 years? Oh, yeah, years. yeah, 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 yeah. New handles, new buttons. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like Trig and his broom, yeah. Um, but it does mean you need a big pile of tiles. It does. And so calcium is really important. And calcium metabolism is really important. Mm. And we're not going to have the nerd alarm go off now. But we could <laughs> we're gonna do. We're going to rein it in. We're not going to talk about calcium metabolism. But. but it's important to know that calcium, vitamin D, and the parathyroid hormone, or PTH, is really, really important. The balance between those three things is really important for good bone health. Yeah. And vitamin D deficiency has mm -hmm. a name, and it's called osteomalacia. And that in itself leads to reduced bone density. One of the things that can improve bone density quite quickly is if you have osteomalacia secondary to vitamin D deficiency. If you replace the vitamin D, the bone density picks up really quite quick. Mm. And it's one of the reasons you make sure people are vitamin D replete before you give any of the other drug treatments as yeah. well. So drug treatments is one of the things we're going to talk about today, but it's not going to be our main focus. We're going to talk about both primary and secondary prevention of yeah. fractures and how, how we will approach that slightly differently. And as we get older, our bone density gradually reduces from our peak bone mass, which is probably in our 30s. Mm -hmm. um, and in women, that decline happens much more quickly after the menopause. I mean, the key point really is that when we're thinking about osteoporosis and fragility fractures, fragility fractures are people breaking their bones when they shouldn't have. So if you think about yourself, if you fell over or you were in that mechanism of injury, you're in that car crash, whatever. If you would break your bone, it probably isn't a fragility fracture if you're like healthy yeah. and in your 30s. So essentially a fall from a standing height. I say to people, did, did they take off and land on the same level? Yeah, and that can quite often be um, some of the first ones that you see are fractured wrists, which quite often happens much earlier in life. That could be a first sign of osteoporosis. It can be pubic rami fractures. It can be a fracture of the hip, the vertebrae. Or the ribs. Or the ribs. Yeah, and sometimes the humerus, upper arm. I guess part of that links into uh, thinking about why people fall over. Absolutely. Which we're not going to cover today, but we have covered in the falls episode in mm -hmm. series one, which was number yeah. five, I think. And the balance episode, which was number nine. Yeah. And then there's also a falls episode coming up in series two. Yeah, which is about prevention and community programs for falls. And that's because falls and fractures go really well together. And you were saying this thing that I quite liked, I hadn't really thought about it in this way before, I quite like it. Your fracture risk is the sum of your falls risk 
your bone density and the force of the fall. Yeah. So if you're falling all of the time, you are more likely to break something. So treating one without the other is just it's a bit nonsensical. nonsensical. Exactly. That's the whole reason that orthogeriatricians exist, isn't it? Mm. So thinking a little bit about um, osteoporosis, mm-hmm. it's common. It's a big problem. Yeah. There's nearly nine million. That's nine with six zeros. Million fractures annually worldwide. And in the UK, about 500,000 people, that's half a million people, um, have some form of fragility fracture. And that number is probably increasing. And fragility fractures can cause quite substantial pain and quite severe disability as well. They can lead to a reduced quality of life. And particularly hip and vertebral fractures are also associated with a decreased life expectancy. So hip fracture patients pretty much always need hospitalisation. Yeah, and that's that's not just because of the broken bone, it's because it can have a huge amount you can have a huge amount of pain with it. Yeah. It can be difficult to manage without an operation. So an operation is standard for pretty much everyone, unless you're really not fit for the surgery. And even just from a pain perspective, they would consider yeah. doing the operation. Yeah. It's not always just about mobility. No, exactly. And often there's other things going on, you know, the, the cause of the fall. They may have yeah. had a heart attack or a stroke or something mm-hmm. to cause the fall. Um, and as a result, only about 30% of patients fully recover. Around 20% of people die in the first year. Mm. And about 50% have some form of permanent disability. Now, that may be something quite small, like needing to walk with a stick. I say quite small. It could have a, a large impact on the quality of life, but relatively a small impact or can, can be something really quite big yeah yeah and there was a, a poster that we talked about at the um, BGS, bgs conference yeah where looking at quality of life following surgery yeah and, and some people said that they they felt that their quality of life was worse than death at 30 days yeah. after the hip fracture, yeah. which is terrible um but it does pick up a little bit later and i think that yeah. that's representing of, of what we what we see yeah. really as people start to recover and start to see that there is a a life after this. Yeah. And it is really important. I think it's under-recognised a little bit. And there was a really good poster going around Twitter about a year ago uh, when the Ebola outbreak was around and everyone was getting very, very excited about it and were they going to see a case of Ebola in A&E. And someone had put up a poster in A&E that said, Ebola has a mortality of 50%. Hip fractures has a, has a mortality of 20%. Which one do you think you're going to see today? Do a chest x-ray, check your vitamin D, refer to orthogeri. Which I thought was really, really good. I like that. Yeah. And it's common, isn't it? So hip fractures are about 70,000 a year in the UK. Yeah. Something like that. And as we said, your bone density gradually reduces with age. So you have to consider the risk of fracture and risk of osteoporosis um, in all older adults that you're seeing, really, and have quite a wide field of vision for, for people that are presenting to lots of different services. So particularly in women over 65 and men over 75. They might be presenting to a physio appointment with reduced mobility. They might be presenting to you as a GP. And you can do lots of things at that point. So things like measuring their height to see if actually they're getting some vertebral fractures and reducing in height um, and looking at their falls risk and proactively managing that before they fracture as well. And that's primary prevention. And I guess there's some people that are extra high risk, for example, um, patients with Parkinson's disease, both yeah. because their bone health is affected, but also they, they fall over more yeah. regularly than other people. And we had a really nice example from Gabor Sike, who is a GP who's been helping us uh, with this series, who works down in Kent, Surrey, and Sussex. And he was saying that there was an initiative where two or three times a year they had open sessions at the GP surgery. It was other surgeries as well in the area 
where anyone that thought that they themselves were at risk or clinicians thought that they were at high risk could drop in. And the aim of the sessions was kind of educational and looking at minimising the risk of falling and also educating about bone protection as well, which is a really nice way That's to do cool. primary prevention. Yeah. I guess it's probably a good point to touch on. We're going to talk later on about primary and secondary prevention and just that for a few things, we, we touched on it in the stroke episode as well, and I think we should just unpack it, that primary prevention is something that you're doing now to stop something happening in the future, mm-hmm. so to stop a stroke or to stop a broken hip. Secondary prevention is that event has happened and you're doing something now to stop it happening again. Yeah. So you've broken a bone and we're now going to start some treatment to stop you breaking a second bone or to stop you having a second stroke. Yeah. And the evidence for those is sometimes different. Coming back onto the topic, we talked about those people over 65, mm-hmm. really we should be have bone health in the sort of peripheral field of vision. For those that are under 65, um, there are certain risk factors that we should be looking out for, mm-hmm. which go with, with all ages, but particularly for the under 65s. So that's patients who have had a previous fragility fracture. Mm-hmm. If they're young, we should be thinking about their bone health. Yeah. If they're on regular steroids, for example, if they've got... Um, COPD and they're COPD having and regular courses of steroids. Mm. Um, those people who are under 65 and have a history of falls mm-hmm. or a family history of hip fractures, just hinting that there may be sort of a genetic component to the osteoporosis. Mm. And then anyone who has a sign that they might have some secondary osteoporosis. So these are people with a few specific conditions, things like hyperparathyroid disease, Cushing's disease, celiacs and malabsorption, and certain drugs. So people who are on long-term PPIs and anti-epileptics. Yeah. So thinking about drugs and osteoporosis, we're going to think about two drugs. One is some of the anti-epileptics. So phenytoin in particular affects your bone health but it affects your bone health by changing your vitamin D metabolism. So it's a bit like your vitamin D deficient. Okay. Um, So that's how that works. And then proton pump inhibitors can affect your bone health. And there was quite a large Canadian study, and they looked at patients' uh, medication usage, and they found that if someone had been taking a proton pump inhibitor for seven or more years, it was associated with a significantly increased risk of an osteoporosis-related fracture. Mm. The odds ratio was like 1.92, so pretty much double. Yeah, and there was an increased risk of hip fractures if they'd been taking medication for five or more years. So that's interesting. So that suggests that taking PPIs is bad for your bone health, but it's not causative, is it? No, it's just an association. Yeah, because it could be the condition that you're taking the PPI for is bad for your bone health. It could be a sign that overall there are lots of other things happening in your body and osteoporosis is one of them, kind of linking into the frailty episode. Yeah. There's lots of different things going on and it's not just that one thing. So it's a sign that you are ill, you have more going on. Going back to the risk factors, a low body mass index as well. Um, And that's a lot of our patients. That's a lot of our patients, yeah. Um, Especially inpatient-wise. If people smoke, they drink a fair amount. They drink a lot, yeah. And we'll put a, a link to that PPI article uh, and the NICE guidelines, which goes through those mm. uh, risk factors in the show notes. So once you've identified a person to be at risk, you need to go on and do an assessment. Um, so I think quite often um, this is quite well done through the fracture liaison service. So if you're not sure how to do it yourself or you don't have the time and skills to do it yourself, plugging them into the fracture liaison service 
locally is a good way to go. And I think that's quite important for, I think, physios in the audience to, to kind of be aware of because quite often when you are seeing people with falls, you are doing a bone health assessment and it doesn't necessarily always link in. So have a chat to your local GPs, your local commissioners and find out who your fracture liaison nurses. That might be a good way to link in your assessment and your kind of case finding. And then you can go on and use one of the various risk assessment tools. Mm-hmm. And I think there are two that's probably worth signposting you to. Yeah. One is the FRAX tool, F-R-A-X, and the other is Q-Fracture. Mm. Personally, I like the FRAX tool because when you go online and you, you fill in the details, um, not only does it tell you their fracture risk and their uh, hip fracture risk for the next 10 years, but also gives you an idea of what to do next because yeah. it's linked to the National Osteoporosis Guidance Group Nog. guidelines. Nog. Um, and it will tell you whether or not you should be referring this person for a bone scan or yeah. lifestyle changes or just treating them at this point. Yeah, it's a nice little graph. And so you can, if you just use a search engine of your choice, um, for the Google word it. FRAX, it'll come up and it's a University of Sheffield website Post that it, it takes yeah. you to and it hosts it. You can access it from anywhere and it's really, really nice. And I find in clinic it's quite nice to turn the screen around once you've got that um, graph there and show them and explain what it means so they can that can help with their decision making. And the risk assessment tools can sometimes underestimate risk yeah. in certain patients. So if Especially you're falling, our older patients, yeah, I think. If they're falling often, if they drink excess alcohol, yeah. or have a secondary cause, these may not be included because the the reference samples are from sort of standard population. So if you've got hyperparathyroidism, for example, you know, yeah. you, you may your risk may be much higher People than people are a bit malnourished as well, I always think. So the bone density measurement, uh, some patients need a bone density scan. We mm. need to know where we're up to. Yeah. So on that graph, it kind of shows you, know from their risk factors that you've told me about, it's probably fine, give them some lifestyle advice. And there are some really good leaflets that you can get from the, the National Osteoporosis Society do leaflets that you can give people to go to primary prevention, essentially. And then uh, sometimes it will say to measure, and that's what we're going to talk about now, is the bone density measurement bit. And that can help you to decide whether, no, actually you can reassure the person they just have that lifestyle advice or whether you're going to go on into that red area of the graph and talk about drug treatments. And the NICE guidance is sometimes slightly different to the NOG guidance. Mm. So sometimes just being aware, because essentially NICE would say if you've got a fragility fracture and you're over the age of 75, we should treat you for osteoporosis, yeah. Um, so if you're going to go on and uh, further assess the, the patient, then you'll do something called a bone density mm. scan, or, or a DEXA. DEXA. And it's quite easy to do. It's quite yeah. simple. And the output is going to give you a T-score or a Z-score. These days, we really only think about the T-score. Yeah. And what that is, if you think of a, a graph with a normal distribution on it. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like we should have done the nerd alert here, but <laughs> let's carry on anyway. So that's a bell-shaped curve with the highest bit at the middle and two bits low down at the sides. The T-score is the number of standard deviations from the mean of a group of premenopausal women or group of men. So osteopenia, which is sort of the halfway house, is a T-score of minus 1 to minus 2.5. So your bone density is between 1 and 2.5 standard deviations below mm. the average. So it's not quite average, it's not quite normal, but it's not quite Osteoporosis, yeah. And then osteoporosis is a T-score of less than two and a half in two sites. Mm, so your bone density is very low at that very point. Low in two places. The thing to say about this test is, as you mentioned, it's quite easy to do. It just requires a patient to be able to get up onto an examination couch, essentially. And the measurement is non-invasive and it doesn't take very long at all. No. 
takes minutes. So once we've identified someone's at high risk and we've done their bone density scan potentially, we're going to need to, one of the recommendations from NOLC is about giving lifestyle advice. Mm. And that's also in the NICE guidance. So I thought it would be useful for us just to go through. Yeah. You know, what because that, that's what universal that is, as well, yeah. isn't it? It doesn't matter if you're going to go on and treat them, you still need to do yeah. these things. So the first thing is, is reduce alcohol. Mm-hmm. Difficult to do for some people, but it, it's really important. Yeah. So the second thing is to make sure that your calcium and your vitamin D levels are okay, um, because you might need to replace those. As we said, those are fundamental to the basic building blocks of bones. Yeah. And now one thing I learned in researching this episode I didn't know about before, um, obviously Ian told me because he loves bones, um, <laughs> is about a calcium calculator online. And that's interesting because there has been some concern about giving extra calcium to people with coronary artery disease, that you may not want to necessarily do that. So it can calculate your dietary intake of calcium to see whether actually a supplement would be of benefit or whether they're actually getting enough calcium into their diet already. Yeah. And there was a study from 2015 that we'll put a link to in the show notes looking at milk intake, and it looked at nearly 1,500 elderly Japanese men and showed that a greater milk intake was associated with a lower bone turnover and a higher bone mineral density, going along with that dietary calcium being mm. important. Um, and then you want to tell people to stop smoking. Yeah. And you want to do exercise. Yeah. Um, exercise is a big thing. Yeah. And it's it's load-bearing exercise. Yeah. Um, so swimming whilst a good exercise, cycling whilst a good exercise, no good for it's your bones. not going to do it. No. And it's really important during the early years of life Mm. as a preventative measure because the more load-bearing exercises you do in those years the higher you push your bone density up and the higher the bone density is at its peak the further you've got to fall. Mm. It's also been shown that exercise in later life is still really important because it can plateau the bone mineral density uh, fall off sometimes it can actually increase it by about a percent or so so yeah. it's, it's still it's still worth exploring and doing and as we said before, it's linking into why they're falling. So exercise can do a lot for that as well. Yeah. And you introduce exercise gradually, a bit like with medications in older patients. Just do everything gradually. So once a week to start with, a couple of times a week, three times a week, gradually building things up over time. Mm. So one of the things that I came across in this um research in this that I didn't know was about thinking about things that as therapists it's possible to do in sort of a routine consultation um, and there was a really nice article looking at the role of physiotherapy in the prevention and treatment of osteoporosis and again the link will be in the show notes and thinking about the things that physiotherapists would do in their routine practice actually that is translatable to other members of the MDT and one of which was looking at the posture and the range of movement that people have and you can look at that by measuring the patient's height when you see them mm-hmm. sequentially and also looking at the curvature of the spine. Um, and that's really looking for vertebral fractures, isn't vertebral it? Vertebral fractures, exactly. And they often often slip under the radar and get missed. Then looking at muscle strength and endurance because obviously the stronger the muscle strength, the reduced chance of falling over. Um, and then looking at the aerobic capability and they suggested using a timed up and go or mm-hmm. a six-minute walk test looking at balance using a functional risk both of which they're really link into falls and then and I, I really liked this bit thinking about pain as part of a routine uh, yeah. assessment because if you your patient's in pain they're not going to be doing the exercise that they normally would and therefore their bone density is going to gradually reduce over time because they're not getting that load-bearing exercise yeah and pain in the back as well I think is something that physiotherapists quite often see 
And I don't want to keep talking about vertebral fractures, but they're a huge source of pain and disability for people. Um, and you may be the person that's seeing them with that. So those are really the, the lifestyle things. So we've got reducing alcohol, calcium, vitamin D intake, stopping smoking, exercise to start with. Yeah. And then there are medications that we can go on and use. Mm-hmm. And I think the important thing is all the medications assume that vitamin D and calcium are normal. Yeah. So you need to replace the vitamin D and all the calcium as needed. And there's a good range of ways of giving that. Um, the common calcium supplements come as chewable tablets. It's the commonest. The commonest. Dissolvable tablets. Yeah. And caplets, which is quite new. And they're interesting because yeah. they can go in blister packs. Yeah. But they are two caplets twice a day, which is quite a, a lot extra tablets to take. Yeah. But when you compare it to those chewable tablets that everyone has and quite often end up within their mouths for yeah. quite some time, I always think, especially with people who are malnourished already, I'm not sure how much I would eat if I had no, that chalky exactly. residue in my mouth. Yeah. So actually moving to something else might be something that helps in a broader sense to improve their nutrition. And there are, vitamin D used to be a food supplement, but they're now licensed vitamin Ds mm. out there. Yes. And most areas have their own vitamin D replacement protocols. Yeah. So just find yeah. your local one. So the main or kind of standard treatment or the first line treatment is usually a bisphosphonate. And the common ones, the commonest one that we use is alendronic acid. Um, and sometimes we use something called residronate. Residronate is quite good if people have GI stomach upset because it causes slightly less GI upset mm. than alendronate. And the alendronic acid is a tablet that needs to be taken uh, once a week have to be upright for 30 minutes before they take it and there are a lot of GI side effects as you say so stomach upsets that's one of the main reasons that people stop taking it isn't it about 50% of people stop taking it in one of the mm. systematic reviews and so that's quite often a reason that these people will be followed up in osteoporosis clinic is actually to check compliance check for any problems that you can work around to improve compliance yeah. both of those you'd probably give these days for around three years yeah Previously, we, we would give people that, you know, we'd say this is your treatment for life. But nowadays, we're starting to see problems with the way that the bone is being formed. And mm. you can have what we call atypical femoral fractures that sometimes develop maybe 10 or so years after people yeah. have been taking bisphosphonates. So it's kind of standard that people need to be on it for about three years because bone turnover is so slow. that Actually, yeah. you need to be on it for a long time for it to start working um, fully. But actually, at about five years, you're starting to think about whether they need to have a drug holiday as well. Yeah, and the, the, the half-life of these drugs is really, really long. So if you've treated someone for three or four years, it'll still be in their system for six or seven years. There are other treatments. Yeah. We have three injectable treatments we should probably just touch on. Yeah, so first is bisphosphonates, but just intravenously. Um, there are a couple of different versions of that. It usually needs to be given at in a hospital setting because it's IV and it also means that people can be monitored for it quite closely. And um, but that's quite good for people who have poor compliance, have cognitive problems, who forget to take it perhaps, um, or are having GI side effects. Yeah. Yeah, that can be minimised by having that. And because it's the commonest one is olindronic acid, which is just once a year, yeah. which is great. And then the second is a drug called denosumab, mm-hmm. which is a monoclonal antibody treatment. Mm. And you give it under the skin, so a subcutaneous injection every six months. And you can give that at home. And it works well, but it doesn't build up in the system like bisphosphonates. So when you stop it, the bone density starts to reduce back to what it was quite mm. quickly. But the compliance tends to be better because 
actually, you know, someone's going around to the house and giving the yeah. injection. And that's quite often kind of second line, isn't it? It's yeah. usually bisphosphonates first, denosumab second, with current guidance. Yeah, and it's it's good, again, if people can't tolerate the bisphosphonates mm. for whatever reason. And it's got a really nice, neat mechanism of action. So if you if you go away and have a look at it. Um, and <laughs> no, go and tell us. Okay, so it affects the, or it binds to the rank L pathway. Um, and so it stops osteo last activation mm-hmm. uh, so it, you, you don't cut away so much bone okay. essentially and it causes osteoblast there are quite neat little videos around I'm there are yeah, yeah go and look at yeah. that and kind of some nice graphics that you can visualize the difference between bisphosphonates and denosumab is yeah. easier and then thirdly is teriparatide hit it and that's oh well it's, it's parathyroid hormone really mm-hmm. so it's the patients usually inject it themselves um, and because it's parathyroid hormone, it increases bone density. I think it's the only treatment really that we have that does that. Mm. Um, but it is expensive and there will be local prescribing guidelines for it. Um, so it's more something just to be aware of if your and patients are on it. You're unlikely to be the person initiating it. And again, we'll put the link to the NICE treatment guidelines, mm. which is TA161, in the show notes. And you can find the show notes at the website, which is www.thehearingaidpodcast.org.uk. So in this episode, we've talked a little bit about bone health, mm-hmm. how we should all be thinking about bone health when we're seeing patients in our routine practice. And actually, there's some things that we can all do looking at the lifestyle side of things um, as part of a normal consultation mm-hmm. with patients. And that's the one big thing that is we've shown that the prevention and the earlier that you intervene on people, the more you can reduce their risk of serious fractures like hip fractures in the future. And we've briefly gone through some of the medications uh, that can be used to treat bone health. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, the key thing is got to have normal vitamin D and calcium first. Yeah. And really the importance of exercise and reducing falls risk. Thinking in. So let us know what you thought about this episode. Does any of this chime true with what you do? Or is there anything that we've missed out that you're doing locally that um, feeds into all of this? got any interesting models of care Mm. or uh, as we were saying before any examples of compassionate care about bone health assessment or dealing with patients who have had fractures please let us know and we'll um, add them into the future episodes yeah we'll share them at mdt underscore podcast or on facebook.com forward slash mdt podcast if you're feeling shy and would like to email us you can do that through our website the mdt podcast Now it's time for the MD teaser. This is our catchily titled MDT item guessing game where we will read a series of increasingly more simple clues about an item that a member of our MDT might use. Mm. And we are one all, are we not? And I think that must mean, Joe, that it's your turn to go first. Yes. Okay. This item is supplied by, but not used by, an occupational therapist. Is it a sponge on a stick? <laughs> no. An occupational therapist? Yes. Okay. They have sponges on, on the end of sticks for oh. washing. Oh, I thought we were talking like mouth care. Those no. pink ones. No, I was like, no. I was like, feel free occupational therapist <laughs> to write in and be offended. Okay, it's made of metal. Is it a frame that goes around a toilet? It is not. It requires at least one functional limb. Is it a grabber? It is not a grabber. 
like a litter picker grabber thing. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I understood. <laughs> it's used to aid bed mobility. Is it a bed lever? It is. It is. Yay. Well done. I suppose. Okay. So then what was that clue? That was clue four. Clue four. All right. So for you, Joe. Okay. First clue. Mm-hmm. I'm psyching myself up. There are never enough of these. Could be anything. Next clue. <laughs> Secondly, it's designed for both comfort and convenience of both users. Um, I say like, maybe like like a rotor stand or something like that. Nice, but no. No. Okay. Um, it's named after the hospital, but it can be used at home and in uh, nursing homes also. It's named after the hospital. Mm. Um, I, no, that doesn't help me. Okay. okay. It's more common in care homes with nursing than those without nursing. I'm annoyed now. Um, okay. Fifth clue. Fifth clue. It may have rails on the side. A hospital bed? A hospital bed. I'm not sure I like those clues. I might have to review them again and see if I approve. <laughs> Let me know if you approve of those clues. I want people on my side. And we've got one for you. Each episode, we're giving you a clue, and they all add together to uh, become an item. So we are on the third, third clue, clue for this item. And the clue is there are three main types of this item. Can I, have, uh, can I give an addendum to this clue? The clue from the last episode applies to one of these types. So add the clues up, go back to listen to the episodes, have a think about what this item might be, and there is a prize in it for you with an MDT mug. MDT mug. So send us your suggestions via Twitter, and the hashtag is MDTeaser. You can tweet us directly at MDT Podcast. You can Facebook us at facebook.com forward slash MDT Podcast. Or via the website. Which, which is, is www.thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk. And in each of those, that's tea like a cup of tea. Indeed. So I think that covers bone health assessment. Mm -hmm. And in the next episode, we will be talking about diagnosis of dementia. And then the one after that, urinary tract infections. Yes. Pet hate. <laughs> the MDT will reconvene in two weeks' time. Dr. Wilkinson has previously received funding from Astellas and UCB Pharmaceuticals for delivering educational activities. The MDT Podcast is a Hearing Aid Podcast's Big Things Media production. Additional music by Kevin McLeod. This podcast has been made possible from a technology-enhanced learning grant from Health Education England, spreading education throughout Kent, Surrey and Sussex. For more information, visit thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk. 